Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. As as usual, I'm Matt Dwyer. And uh, if if you're a first time listener to the podcast, uh, thank you very much for being here. If you're a long time listener, hey, thank you for being here. It means a lot that you keep coming back. Uh, also, if you're an old time listener, you might notice that this theme music is not my usual theme music. That's because it is by today's guest, David Pajo. Uh, or otherwise known as uh, Papa M, which is the band that this uh, song comes from. Local Boy Makes Good is the name of the song. It's from his EP4, and that's from 2003, if you really got to know what year that came from. Uh, Mr. Uh, Pajo has uh, started off with the seminal band Slint. I heard about that band like everybody else as a young man in Wicker Park, Chicago. uh, Word of mouth, somebody was like, you have to have this album. You have to listen to this album. So I bought it, and it uh, blew me away. And I've been a fan ever since Ever since then. Uh, Mr. Pajo also has a number of uh, solo projects. Uh, uh, Papa M, Ariel M, he also goes by Pajo. Uh, there will be links to all this about him in the show notes. So if you want to go to his website or drag city his label and explore i highly suggest you explore more of uh, the music of mr paho his solo stuff really um speaks to me this episode is uh very much how i like them to go it was just we started talking i always hit record and just because you never know what you're gonna get we just started talking and it was very just everything unfolded i had things i wanted to ask about and we covered pretty good amount of it. And uh, and then there's just, sometimes there's just shit, you know, you're like, I would like to know about this, but it just doesn't organically fit, and I'm not going to cram something in there that doesn't uh, come about naturally. And uh, a couple times I got real flummoxed. Not flummoxed, but uh, I uh, couldn't spit out the words. But that's, you know... Uh, I'm excited. I'm passionate. <laughs> and by the way, if you're listening to this episode because you specifically want to hear me talk with David Pajo and you're a fan, I invite you. This is my 180th episode, which is pretty exciting for me. And it's also so it's a nice mark to have David as a 180th guest. But if um, if you like musicians, I've had interviewed a ton of uh, musicians, especially from that Chicago scene. Uh, Ken Vandermark, David Yao from The Jesus Lizard. Um, Wayne Kramer, not from the Chicago scene, but uh, from the MC5. So look at my library. There's a ton of great episodes. I think you'll really like it. And uh, I'm going to stop talking so we can listen to me talk some more with the great David Pajo. Thank you very much. Did you live in Chicago? Yeah, I um, we have uh, like I worked at Second City for about a decade, oh. and I I grew up outside Chicago and and lived in the city for. I lived in Wicker Park when you could still score Coke on the corners, and I'm maybe I did, right. David? Maybe I did score a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that was that like nineties uh, then, like early nineties or mid nineties? Yeah, yeah. I s- actually scored a couple times in high school, <laughs> uh, and well, then uh, I, I, I'm sorry. What was the question? Um, like when you lived in Chicago, was that like the? I mean, um, when Wicker Park was like that, was that? Yeah, I lived uh, in, in the nineties. Yeah, I lived in Wicker Park in ninety two, and then again around ninety. 
seven ish, ninety six, right. ninety seven. Uh, and then I lived, you know, I lived all, I could not seem to stay in an apartment for an extended period of time, which was not connected to me scoring drugs on the corners. <laughs> just was some, I kept moving in with girlfriends thinking this, every girlfriend was going to be the one, uh, clearly yeah. a man who grew up needy. So <laughs> <laughs> the, um, late, the early nineties and it seems like, like mid and late eighties, uh, Wicker Park was so different, you know, I really, I still see it when I go there. Like I can still see the way it used to be. It's, I guess that's what aging is. You know, it's like you can be, <laughs> you could be where there's a Starbucks, but you can see the, the cool, um, you know, Polish restaurant that used to be on that corner or something. You know? Yeah. Uh, that was a heartbreaker losing busy B. Oh yeah. You knew exactly which one I was talking about. Yeah. Busy B was so amazing. Um, yeah, there was a oh gosh, there was a lot of places in Wicker Park. But, um, does Wicker Dog still? I don't know. Is That's that... a good question. It was there. I haven't been in Wicker Park for maybe five years, though. I've been in the city, but I have. I but man, I never ate at that joint sober for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even know if I ate there. I I, I know I sat there. Um, <laughs> I used to live. Uh, I was grand in division from like 95 to 98 when I was in tortoise. So, and it was still like, um, uh, yeah, it was still not, I wouldn't say rough, but it was, it wasn't, um, you know, totally, uh, like gentrified yet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was behind the Hollywood grill for a while, which is at what North and Ashland. And I would cut, through, mm-hmm. I would cut through the alley to catch the bus. And it was just, I mean, it was needles and, bullet shell uh, casings or whatever it was but i was you know i was 22 so i was like this is cool right i'm being an artist yeah 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 (laughs) yeah and and like my rent i literally like i lived my rent was like 150 dollars like it was un. i'm spoiled by that insane uh cheap rent like i've never been able to adjust paying normal prices i know i know it's like the the those uh and that was also like mid Midwest in a big city, but um, you know, 150 for that area at that time was probably, the, I guess it was the norm then. Because um, I, yeah, I know uh, we stayed when when David Yao and uh, when the like, I guess the Jesus Lizard had just formed and they they moved from Austin to uh, to Chicago. They had um, they had a spot. It was in like a like Wicker Park, but I was so young that like, I, I didn't know Chicago at all. I don't know what part of Wicker Park it was in, but it was, uh, it was a really rough neighborhood because the, we stayed at their place. Um, I think we played a show together or something. And, um, and it was like, we, we took turns, like one person would sleep in the van. Uh, and it was my night to sleep in the van when we, when we stayed at the, uh, the lizard's place. And, and I remember being woken up by, you know, just like a, a total like gun show was going down. It was just like all this, all these bullets flying by. And, um, and then all of a sudden the van was surrounded by cops and stuff. And I was like, I had to come out with my hands up and I, and they were like, Oh, you're just music, you know, musician. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never, um, I never had any pro like no one fucked with me when I lived in uh, Wicker Park. 
it was, uh, and I would, you know, stumble around drunk at all hours and I, maybe I just looked bad or something. <laughs> it's like, maybe I didn't yeah. look worth the problem. <laughs> or maybe you just fit right in. Yeah. And, then, and so nobody, <laughs> you just blended in, nobody minded. Yeah. I didn't like really know anybody who got, like I heard of people who would get mugged or jumped or whatever, but I, I just did never, I don't, I also was real good at walking quickly and like darting across the streets. Cause you know, I got beat up as a kid. So I was, I was good at, yeah. I was good at spotting those problems. Yeah. I feel like, um, you, like you have to get like thumped a couple times before you know how to not get, you know, how to avoid stuff. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I now the neighborhood I live in, it's it probably could happen, but it's like it's people leave their kids' bikes out in the front yard, so I'm like, oh, this is. Uh, it was 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 what was like the area that you lived in Louisville? Was that also kind of? Uh, um, are you, uh, do you mean uh, when I was growing up? Or yeah, uh, um, yeah, the area that I lived in was you know I grew up like in the suburbs, basically, like we were, um, like all of, uh, well, there's like for Louisville, there's, there's like the South end, the East end and the West end. And nobody talks about the North end. <laughs> like, cause I think Indi- that's Indiana basically. Um, uh, um, like the, the East end is more like the, I guess like the privileged, uh, middle-class area and the South end is more of like, a, you know, the, it's considered or was considered like the white trash area and then the west end was like it's still segregated there that was like the black part of town um and so i i grew up in the east end but the punk scene was you know so small that like it was people from all different areas you know so um i'm so i'm happy that i was i didn't just grow up around uh you know like a bunch of middle-class kids um, I was just going to ask cause I, it, because we're in the same age because I remember like also discovering punk in high school and stuff but it wasn't like today where people could just jump on the internet I mean it was a lot more difficult to find music when like there was like record uh, stores you could go to but you also had to at least for me I had to fucking travel like 30 minutes to get to a record store that might have something I heard about oh yeah totally There and there might be a record that you won't find that you wanted that you won't find until like three years later. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I feel like, especially in like a town like Louisville, like actually the record stores were pretty cool about, or I like somehow I seem to find like really off the avant-garde stuff, you know, and I, but I, I didn't even know what to get a lot of it. Like I would just go by the, you know, you just find something that looked cool. And, and usually they put anything weird in the import section, <laughs> like, like whether an import or not, they were just like, okay, this looks weird. This goes there. We're no, like only the weirdos look in that section. So it was, um, it was, uh, it, yeah, what, I feel like it was maybe, um, it was, it was, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was more of a commitment to like being the punk band, but it was more, uh, it was a little more edgy for sure. Like there, especially back then when it was not accepted, you know, like now it's like, it's totally accepted. It's like, it's not really dangerous to be a punk, you know, but back then you could get your ass kicked for, for just like having an earring, you know, or like, um, 
uh, yeah, just looking different at all. Yeah, because it, it, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and it was like, if you didn't listen to, like, Maiden or Zeppelin or The Door, like, uh, yeah, people would say you were gay, and there was a good chance you'd get fucking clobbered. <laughs> like, yeah, and, yeah. And I, when I discovered that sort of music, I was kind of afraid to share it. Like, I, one guy gave me a mixtape, and I, I was, like, kind of terrified to play it too loud because i thought my mom would think i because the first song on the mixtape was i saw your mommy and your mommy's dead and i was like my mom's gonna think i'm fucking crazy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um the bass player from slant todd uh told me that i think yeah this was probably before he was in slant but he thought it he told me about listening to the first butthole surfers record when he thought he was at home alone and he turned it on really loud and took a shower. Like he turned it on super loud so he could hear it while he was in the And um, his, uh, the, the song like that was playing was the one where it's like, they just say cunts over and over. So his mom comes storming it, you know, just like, oh, turn this shit off, you know, because it's just going cunts, 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 cunts. Like, and, it, and that was like the, yeah, that was like the kind of stuff where, you know, it was, yeah, it, it was like, offensive because there was nothing like that it really existed back then it seemed like um but you know what i i thought of what that's kind of funny is like um a lot of people in the it seems like a lot of people on the east end didn't even um uh like they were into like all this crazy music but they didn't necessarily like it wasn't a fashion you know like um like they they would just look totally normal or uh like or they'd almost look preppy, but their clothes might have be torn up, you know, like they'd be wearing like, um, Izod's or polos, but it'd be all ripped up, you know? Like, um, and that, and, but otherwise you would just look at them and think they were kind of weird because their clothes have holes in them, but otherwise they looked pretty clean cut, you know? So and I think it was like, maybe that was a, a way of just sort of dealing with the, um, uh, well, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the style of music you listen to isn't a fashion show anyway, but like, uh, you can still express your individuality and be yourself at the same time, you know? Um, uh, in, in Louisville, I think if you, if you did kind of, um, or yeah, I feel like at least when I was growing up, there was, uh, it was a highly critical scene, but it was also like a really supportive like music scene in the sense that like, if, uh, if you were doing your own thing, you had your own sound and you didn't sound like any other, you're, yeah, you just sounded like you guys, whether it was good or bad, like uh, people were really into it or they would support you doing that. But if you were sounded like a direct ripoff of something else, um, you're kind of laughed out of town or if you just took on the image of the band or something, you're, you'd be, uh, you kind of, people wouldn't really put up with it. <laughs> or you, um, so I, I like the, that that existed, you know, cause it really, it, it seemed like uh, doing your own thing was always encouraged. Yeah. Would that push you to find, push your playing your guitar and like, because I read that you, you would practice eight hours a day, which is just in, incredible to me. I, 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 Oh yeah. I was, yeah, I was, um, yeah. Once I discovered guitar, like there was nothing else I did. Like I just, I was, I would play like like nine hours a day was like a satisfactory day of practice, of practicing. But I remember complaining to my mom that I was like, I was like, I can't. Like school was getting in the way, you know. Like I was like, 
I only practiced six hours today. That's not enough, you know. Um, but I, but I guess I wasn't. I wasn't like chasing girls or anything. I wasn't going out and partying or doing drugs or. I was just playing guitar. Like they, um, yeah. I guess yeah. That was all I did. So um, it, I think it it kind of. But I, I was doing sort of. It was good, like, learn, it was a good learning experience. I learned a lot, but I, I feel like uh, I didn't actually become a a decent guitar player. Like, I could shred and do all this show-off kind of stuff, but I actually didn't become good until um, until I stopped, uh, until I sort of stopped trying to do that and just tried to play more, like, minimal or something. What inspired you to try that? Because that's interesting to me. Because I, I just that era, I know guitar shredding was like the thing, <laughs> and to to discover such yeah. a, a choice to go to minimalism is interesting to me because that was fairly non-existent as far as I knew. Yeah, um, I think I just, uh, I just, I think I just, you know, my my taste in music was changing and stuff, and um, and I realized uh, that it was kind of stupid, <laughs> or, or um, and. And I, I, I just wanted to, I guess I, I wanted to do things like, um, that were like anti-guitar playing in a way. Like, that's the only way I thought of it. Like, uh, you know, if we were writing, working on a slint song or something and that, um, there, there was space for me to do a guitar solo, like I would either, yeah, I guess, I guess it depends on the song, but like most of the time I try to think of like what, um, what would be sort of like. A, a non-guitar player thing to do here, you know? Um, and like for, for Washer, I thought it'd be cool if I just played one note, you know, like do a one note guitar solo and, um, or, or just playing the scale, like for breadcrumb trail, it was like just playing a scale that clashes with the scale that I'm playing over. Um, uh, just like little things that, um, or you or try to solo using mostly all open strings. <laughs> um, but all, so you know, it was all just little things that I was trying to do, like uh, just to be. Um, I, I guess I went, I flipped, like I went from wanting to be a guitar hero to that to wanting to be a like an anti-guitar hero. <laughs> Is that? Do you think that was kind of advanced thinking for somebody? Because you were pretty young, and that's some pretty advanced musical thinking or maybe i'm not musically knowledgeable as you but that seems pretty advanced for a guy in his teens to be deconstructing that way is would you agree with that um i mean maybe in hindsight i would think that um but like uh, it really it was totally the the sort of uh like conceptual thinking that like was like just normal in the group, like with the slint guys and the squirrel and grubs and everybody, you know, like, like that kind of, um, you know, that was totally normal. Like we played a show with, I mean, this is like maybe not a good example, but we played a show, uh, opening for big black in Louisville. Um, and it was the first time Albini had heard slint. And I think Brian had only recently joined and, uh, and we and Brian actually played an acoustic guitar. Like we didn't have any of the Spiderland songs. It was just all twee stuff. And he, 
yeah, he played an acoustic guitar. And, and Grubbs was like, you guys should all wear minor threat shirts. And we were like, yeah, we'll do that. You know, so we all wore minor threat shirts for the show. And Brian was playing acoustic. And Albini was not into it at all. Like, he thought we sucked. <laughs> um, uh, and he was our hero, you know. Uh, but um, I, I think he, we just looked like some, just like some weird, weirdo like jazz fusion band or something <laughs> um but like like to to be just to suggest you know that we should all wear minor threat shirts like that was a normal thing to do like um you know just to uh show like wanting to do a, a guitar solo where or like you know come up with a guitar part where you pick behind the fretted note you know right. or so, like that's that like something like that wasn't too far out of suggestion or like an idea um like oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt uh no i mean so i I guess i'm i feel like that i was fortunate to have like uh to be in an environment that that kind of promoted that sort of forward thinking or type of thinking yeah do you because i have heard people uh uh, call you a guitar god and hero? Does do you think of that? I mean, is that a weird thing for you to hear? I uh, yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, I they should probably hear me when I when I'm at home and I pick up the guitar. <laughs> they may not think that. Um, I I mean it's that's super flattering, but I I can't understand. I don't I don't see it at all because um, uh, I think maybe. You know, maybe I had, I just had some ideas that I worked on and executed, you know, but I don't think like to me, a guitar guy is somebody who can just pull, pull stuff out of their hat, you know? Um, and I, and that's not me. Like, I don't, I, I'm not much of an improviser, um, but I can premeditate something. That, um, and in fact, the more time I have to, to, to like work on something the better usually. Do you still work on um, things like eight hours a day? Oh no, I wish I did. You know, I, I, it's not like that at all anymore. Like it's sort of like a, it's, it's sort of a, um, a joy just when I do sit down and play guitar. Um, but back then I was actually practicing, like I was working on technique and scale, learning new skills and stuff like that. Like it was real practice. And now, now it's more like, uh, I either, I just, I just mess around until like something cool happens. Uh, or yeah, there, a lot of times there's no intention, but it's not like, uh, it's, I feel like when I was doing that, like it, it was more goal oriented. Um, and now I have zero goals. I have no motivation. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Did you, when you left the Louisville world and came to Chicago, was there similarly, cause that's, it, a pretty ripe time in the Chicago music scene to be, to have made that move with a lot was happening. Did you find a similar sort of camaraderie or was, was, what was that Chicago scene like? Um, I did. Yeah. It seems like Chicago always had that to me, like in, um, uh, on, to some extent, I mean, maybe it's just because I only had the, my, my only real exposure to the, Chicago scene was, was through Steve. Um, so I kind of, I felt like I knew his world that or scene that he was in, um, which included like touch and go bands and, um, you know, and it was a lifestyle, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just music. It was like, uh, you know, every, every 4th of July, they'd go, um, 
they'd go to a park and shoot, blow off fireworks, like homemade fireworks. That were was basically like, like that's where the name Quarter Stick Records comes from, is because they would make like basically quarter sticks of dynamite, and we'd blow up like one time Corey blew up a car or like just a car that was crashed, and we we just put all kinds of stuff in. It's like you had a VCR that broke, you'd, we'd blow it up, and um, anything that was like, but. Like, we'd drive from Louisville for July 4th, like, to be part of that. It wasn't even for a show. It was just to blow things up, and there would be, we'd have bottle rocket wars, you know? <laughs> one, one year, Steve, like, burned off part of his eyebrow in a Roman candle war. Like, <laughs> he was after somebody. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, that, that was, like, the Chicago scene always seemed really tight to me. Um, uh because stuff like that happened. And when I moved up there in the, in the mid nineties, um, yeah, I guess I, I was, all the tortoise guys were living together. So the, yeah, there was definitely that feeling of like, it was almost like a commune. Um, and every, you know, all the members played with a million other bands and, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I feel like, like the Chicago and Louisville scenes are really similar in a lot of ways, except that, um, bands from Chicago like tend to leave Chicago. <laughs> like they they can tour and like get known outside of Chicago. But Louisville bands seem to be happy, uh, which is super cool. Like I'm not knocking it, but like really, uh, they like they're they're totally content with just staying inside of Louisville boundaries. You know, um, so so all kinds of great bands live and die there um, that'll just never get heard or never recorded, or, but only only you just had to live there at that time, you know, to see them live or go to their practices. Did, um, did people, were people surprised when you, you left or did that just seem like a natural progression? Um, for me, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I had to, cause, uh, I like, it's so weird. I was talking about this the other day, like in the early nineties, like, um, there was the only two like active, bands at that time that I really, that I listened to were, or, uh, that I liked were Tortoise and Stereo Lab. And, um, and I, I love both of those bands and, and most of the other, all the other music I really listened to were, was old stuff. Cause I was discovering all this old music and, you know, Delta blues and country and folk music and all this, and, uh, uh, you know, Texas swing. And then, um, and then, and then Tortoise uh, or Bundy left Tortoise and they asked me to fill in for a, a tour that they were doing that they had planned. And, uh, and so I did that and then they asked me to join, but I had to move to Chicago. Like to me, it was like, uh, and then I ended up playing with Stereo Lab. So like, it was like the two bands I was into, the only two current bands at that time that I was into, like I ended up playing with. So it was like a dream come true for me. Um, uh, because I, at one point I was in Tortoise and Stereo Lab at the same time, and I had to make a choice: um, what, like, do I live in London and play with Stereo Lab, or do I live in Chicago and, and play with Tortoise? And I just, I just like America a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I stayed. That's a. And was that the main factor? Because that's a tough decision. Uh, was it you, Chicago? Yeah, no, it was it was really tough because I um because I loved England too because I 
lived there for a year and a half and stuff, and I loved Stereo Lab and all the people. Um, but uh, I think it was, yeah, I think I, you know, I think I was, I was dating a girl and, and <laughs> that lived in Louisville and I wanted to stay near her, you know? Um, so yeah, it's funny how, uh, well, yeah, of course your relationships are going to affect your life choices. Yeah. Uh, um, I was, I was interested when you were saying the things about like discovering countries, uh, Texas swing and all those things is that, do, do you feel like that's a responsibility as a musician to know as many genres as possible? Or, or, or was that just sort of organic sort of like, Oh, Hey, I heard this. I, I, I fucking dig this. Um, it, I, yeah, it's, I think I, it's totally organic. Like it's something I learned from, uh, yeah, just the people I was around in Louisville. It's just like, you could, you could identify as a, as a punk or whatever, but you know, like you would listen to like, the Shags weren't a punk band, but we would, we, you know, the Shags were, were insane and amazing. Um, and we would listen to that and, uh, I would, you know, listen to a sound of like a record that was just whale sounds, you know, like, um, and that's what I'd listen to when I would study for school or whatever. And, And so it was like, um, I, it's not so much, it wasn't actually about genres at all. Uh, like genres are like the, like man-made things but to me it's just like just just sounds and like what um and just seeing what's out there and and what you know like what you connect with on some level um what yeah whether it's bob wills and the texas playboys or if it's uh um lamont young you know do you you, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no it's my um i think there's a delay on my phone so Oh, because um, I, I was curious because I, I feel like that also relates to your actual music that you create because I feel like, and I you can't really, I feel like you can't put a genre on any of your, the music that you've created and it seems to sort of organically go in all these different directions, but I think is fantastic, like I think what's incredibly appealing about it, but, but I was curious if that is also just like, do you organically just follow your artistic? <laughs> I was going to say whimsy, yeah. and that was totally the wrong word. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe it is very whimsy. For, but I mean, I was curious because, like, do you just how that comes about? Because it's such a unique and wide variety of sounds you create. Uh, see, I, I thank you. I, I take that as a compliment um, for sure because. Um, it seems like my favorite music is always difficult to describe. Like if I, I always ask that question, like when somebody tells me about a band or their band or something, I'm like, uh, and I ask, how, how do you describe it? And the way it's, I don't mean it as a test, but if they, if they're like, oh, it's sort of post-rock shoegaze, you know, with a little bit of singer song, I don't know. <laughs> um, like, uh, then I'm a, a part of me, um, uh, sort of. Uh, I'll just, yeah, I guess I tune it out. Like, like I, because it's so easy to, to, I under, I understand that they're just trying to find a, something similar to, to use to describe it. But to me, um, if you're just like, if you can't find the words to describe it, then that's a good sign. You know, like that to me, that that's, it's something that's, it's really special, you know, like, um, uh, it, it became like a game, with Slint when people would ask us 
to this, you know, if we're, we're just buying strings at a music store and they're like, uh, you know, what, what, what's your, what's your band like? Um, how would you describe your band or something? And like, it would become a game so you could come up with the most fucked up game. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I remember Brian, described at once as antiseptic jazz <laughs> and, and that, that was during the tweez times and um ah oh man i can't i can't think of it right now but you know just putting words that make no sense together um because there really wasn't a way to describe the slint sound you know because we didn't even know what it was i mean i feel like you still can't I've heard people say math rock and I'm like, I guess <laughs> like, but I don't really feel like that is covers it either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I definitely don't think math rock like, um, to me, that's, we, we weren't technical. Like people seem to think we were, but we weren't like we, we, uh, I, I feel like, um, or my interpretation of it was that we, we were kind of OCD, like, well, the, the four of us together created, um, like, I think all of our OCD kind of, uh, support, supported each other. Because <laughs> um, I don't have it too bad. I don't think I have it that bad. But, like, it, when I'm with those guys, like, it, go, it gets heightened for sure. Like, I, I want, um, I get super detail-oriented. Um, and, uh, and I feel like with the, with the songwriting, like we loved loose music, you know, that was non-technical and, um, and, you know, just had its own, like, because the players were great at improvising or something like we, because we didn't have that skill, we had to premeditate, you know, we had to work everything out in advance. Um, but we wanted to keep it loose. Like if you listen to, I don't know, Skip James or something, they're like it's not like every verse is exactly four four and um uh it you know he might he might like jump to the the chorus part like uh like a half a bar early or you know there's a lot of uh it's all really organic and there's and it's just like kind of following the feel of um uh, whatever you're feeling right in that moment like he could probably record it again and it's and he would play it the structure would be slightly different um so it's uh so we were trying to achieve that sort of, uh, or in my opinion, we were we were trying to achieve that sort of improvisational almost feeling, like looseness. But it was, uh, but we, but since we couldn't do that, we had to count everything, and things ended up being odd time signatures or numbers, you know, like, um, uh, and yeah, I don't know, and it, you know, all fit had to fit with the lyrics too, you know, so. Do you feel like a lot of that uh, experimentation and sort of freeness was due to the, your age? Because I, f- I look at the things I've done when I was younger, and I just had an undeserved confidence. <laughs> but, but I would, <laughs> but it allowed me to be like, "Fuck it, I, I'm, I could do this." Was there any? Uh, not to say that you guys had, weren't undeserved, but uh, was there any elements of that youthful sort of? Um, energy to your creating that sort of sound or I'm going to take a little break from the interview right now to thank you for listening and if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to be more of the community that is conversations with Matt Dwyer you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash conversations with Dwyer there's exclusive content on there there's bonus episodes raw files of the unedited uh 
conversations, videos, photos. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. It's a great way. It's also a great way to support the show because uh, I, for a long time, was with a network. I am now independent. I'm doing this all on my own. Uh, so please, uh, it would help me greatly if you became a Patreon supporter. If you can't support that way, feel free to uh, rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. That means a great deal to me. And for all things Conversations Matt Dwyer, you can go to themattdwyer.com and you can have links to merch and social media. And that way it's an easy jumping off point for any way you want to find out more about the show, find out, find out more about me, or support the show. I thank you very much for listening, and now we go back to the interview. I, I, I think that was a huge part of it. Like, um, like uh, it, it made it, not only did it like embolden us, but it also we just had the space, you know. Like um, we lived with our parents. We uh, we had like before Spiderland. We practiced. It, it, I, you know, it was probably seven nights a week, or and if it wasn't, it was like you know between five and seven nights a week, uh, every night for like a year before Spiderland. And, um, and it wasn't because we, it, it didn't seem really, uh, uh, it seemed more process oriented than, than product oriented, you know, like it just, it would just became part of our daily routine. And it's because like living in Louisville, there, like, uh, there's a, you have to find your own, you have to make your own fun. You have to kill, you know, find ways to kill time and, um, uh, and, and like, uh, entertain yourself. Uh, you know, if we had iPhones and, and Fortnite and stuff, maybe things would have been different, <laughs> but, um, it would have never existed, but like, uh, you know, it, it did become part of our, of our, of our routine was just, and, and it would be, and so our sense of time also changed because, you know, just flint practice was something that we did every day. So every day when we went to practice, like maybe that week we were working on this, like the transition between two riffs and everyone had an idea they wanted to try out. And then we had to, we had to try every single option. And then maybe two weeks later after, you know, after 14 practices, we figured out a three second transition, you know, um, so it was like really super detail oriented, but it was only because we were young and didn't have to pay bills, didn't have kids, and, you know, like, uh, that we had the, the space and time to do it. Um, uh, and, and it I, I definitely felt like, uh, it was, it was the first time I felt I was in a band that I felt was ser as serious as I was, you know, like I was playing with people that took it as seriously as me, even though, when we were together, we made it, you know, we were just, you know, like pranksters. Is, is your approach to music vastly different than when you were doing that earlier? Or do you have, it, I'm fucking up my question. <laughs> uh, uh, is your approach <laughs> vastly different than when it was when you were young? Did, did, has it evolved or do you still have similar approaches? I, I think the, the basic sense is there, but it's, it is, it is different. Um, I, I'm, I have, I feel like I have glimmers of it, like that come back. Um, uh, but, but mostly like the only, the only rule I had, uh, you know, with music really was just to, um, was to make known the unknown. Like if I didn't, if I didn't, uh, 
you know, if I, I wanted to be like, you know, what, like, what would it be like to write a, uh, um, a, you know, a, a song, but all, all the strings are tuned to one note or, like um where all the strings are tuned to one note but they're only they're all slightly bit off you know um and i have to write a song with you know like that kind of like setting parameters or having sort of a conceptual idea um or just like what would it be like to write uh you know i want to write a pop song or a disco song you know like uh like if i've never done it before it doesn't matter if it's been done before to me like I, if i've never done it then i have, i have to try it out like um but i think that's what motivates all the different uh you know paths that i've taken in music like and why i like to play with bands that um have uh d- different styles because i um each band is an education you know yeah when you play with a band where you're just sort of a hired gun is is that are you still allowed? Because I'm always cu- curious about that. Because obviously you're this highly creative guy who's done incredibly innovative work. Do, when you join a band just to like go on a tour, do they? Uh, is it a different approach? Do, are you allowed to be like, hey, I give your two cents, or is it just like you're a hired, a hired guy? Um, it depends on the band. Like I feel like for for me, if I'm playing, uh, if if somebody asks me to to help them with a tour or something or like, and I'm playing somebody else's parts or a part that's been written before I showed up. Like, um, to me, it, it, like there's no ego involved for me. Like, I don't feel like I have to put my fingerprint on it. Um, I just want it to sound good to them. And I, in fact, I want to, uh, sort of blend in as much as possible so they don't longer notice me. <laughs> um, and they, and, and it's, and like I, and that sounds like it would be unrewarding, but I do like, I learn a lot from, uh, learning other people's songs or, or approaches. And, and I don't, and I guess I, I, I sort of realize it now, but at the time, um, I don't, I, I didn't realize that I was actually putting my fingerprint on like, like when I was playing with Interpol, like I was playing like bass lines that were written by Carlos, but I was playing, but I was, playing them in a way that I understood, you know, like I would, it might be the same melodies, but maybe I would play it in a different place on the neck or like, I liked the way it sounded better if I did it over here, you know, like little, little decisions that don't stand out. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, unless you're really looking for it, but, um, like I, I post like there aren't, I posted a picture of stereo lab and me recently because there aren't like that many photos of, of me with them. And, um, the, the drummer, Andy Ramsey, uh, commented on there and I, and I haven't, and I didn't realize this, like he'd been with them for like a uh, year before I had played with them. But he said that when I, when I came and played with them, that, that he, that I taught him how to, how uh, the bass and drums work as a, as the rhythm section. <laughs> and I didn't, like I wasn't teaching, you know, I wasn't being a teacher. Like I was just, uh, I was just wanted to lock in with the drums and I wanted to just, you know, this is what made the song sound exciting to me, you know, um, if I played this way. Um, and he, uh, and I, so I don't really realize like that it's, that I'm, I have an effect on the way that I interpret, um, other people's stuff, but I think I do in some 
small way. Um, <clears throat> something that interests me is that uh, Will Oldham encouraged you to sing on your music. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you'd never sung before? Um, or like I, a, I, in front? I had done, um, I think, I, well, one of the M singles, I, I did uh, Last Caress, a version of Last Caress, um, the Misfit song um, on acoustic, and that was the first time I recorded myself and sang. I think maybe I'd done it one other time, but it was just sort of like humming. But um, the... And, and I'm, you know, I've never liked my voice and I've never liked my lyrics really. Um, but, but Will's like, to me, like Will's like a, like one of the, he is like easily one of the best singers I've ever worked with and one, and the, one of the best lyricists as well and songwriters. So, so for him to, to get encouragement from him to keep going is always like, I didn't realize how much it, uh, like how much I responded to it, you know, um, because like whatever mortal came, a lot of it was because, uh, I mean, it was a personal decision because I just wanted the music I was listening to to line up with, uh, or the music I, I wanted the, my, the music I was writing to line up the music I was listening to on some level. Cause, um, I wasn't listening to instrumental music really, um, at that time. And, and, you know, I got, I got a lot of encouragement from Will and then, and then recently, like now that Will and I reconnected, like he's been super encouraging and, uh, it's really crazy. Like I want to sing more because I'd kind of sworn off singing. I was like, I was like, okay, my range, my voice has changed and my range is more narrow than it ever was. Like I'm just getting worse as I get older. And, um, he's, uh, but Will, uh, you know, but when a friend like that you respect, um, like tell you like love something that you're doing and, and wants you to keep going with it, like it, it gives me the a little bit of courage to 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 try stuff out, you know. I th I think your voice is great. <clears throat> like I love, excuse me, <clears throat> but I also think there's an, a great deal of emotion within your voice, um, and you don't have to do a lot for I think for you to convey a lot of feeling which i think is very powerful like i'm very affected by your singing oh man that's that's super great to hear because i i have no objectivity like to me when i listen when i hear it it sounds like monotone it's <laughs> <laughs> like i'll and then i'll hear will or like somebody who can really sing and i'm like man they can do anything with their voice <laughs> and uh and um uh, I don't know, like, but that's really, that, that means a lot. Cause, um, to me, like I, I, my favorite singers are like, really have always, always been the ones that aren't considered great singers. Like, you know, Marky e. Smith or Lou Reed or, um, Tom Waits or even Dylan, you know, people, yeah. a lot of people still think Dylan's a shitty singer, but I, I love his voice. And, um, like, you know, it's like, uh, so it's to me, it's more about a character. So like having a, like a, uh, if a voice has personality that, so that you can you know, you know, when you hear Neil Young's voice, you know, it's Neil Young and not somebody else. And if it is somebody else, then they suck for ripping him off. You know? Um, so it's like, to, so to me, like having, uh, an identifiable, like character, like voice has a characteristics that's uniquely yours. Like, 
is more important than being a good singer um, anyway. So, like, maybe I'm, I should uh, just kind of work with that. But the, the fact that you say it's expressive is really, no one's ever told me that. And that so that's really cool. I mean, I, I don't know if this is true about you, but when I hear some of your songs, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this guy really has some pain. <laughs> it's like, and I mean, yeah. in a good way, uh, it, it's like, there's a lot within it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I agree with you, like guys like Lou Reed and Tom, I, th- I feel like people underestimate the range and what those guys do. Like Tom Waits has a crazy range. It's just this weird fucked up voice, but he can do yeah. a lot with it. Um, oh yeah. And I, I feel like th- it's like, you know, like a lot of the blues guys didn't have, a lot of range, but they put, there was just so much subtext or emotion in it that it just, yeah. and that's what I don't, that's what I think it matters. Yeah. I mean, like, like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I should, I should keep that in mind instead of like beating myself up over my voice, you know, but it's like, um, like Blind Lily Johnson has the, like what would be considered like a really harsh voice, you know, like, um, uh, some, Somebody told me it sound, he sounded like a bullfrog or something. Um, but like I, but to me, like he's, like I'll listen to some of his songs, uh, you know, and I'll get misty listening to him because, you know, he's he's belting them out. Like his voice projects really strong, and he's they're gospel songs. Um, so and he's he's a, you know, he's a black guy in the '30s who's blind, and he's playing slide guitar, which is hard enough as it is but he's sliding to the exact right note and he can't even see the guitar neck, you know, like to me, he's like a miracle. Um, and, uh, and like, to me, his music really is spiritual, but, um, uh, like the, but like, but if you just heard him, like you, like he would not be on like, what's, what's that, what's that talent show? Um, oh, you got talent. Everybody, yeah. America, like America's that. got talent. Yeah, something like that. I've never watched a full episode, but like, uh, like all those singers are like, they can do all the vocal acrobatics, but you know, That's I true. I would hey, I would jump over all of them to to get the blind Willie Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean that that shit to me is like you're just showing off, and congratulations, you've studied and you have a lot of range, but there's not usually emotional depth to that stuff. It's just yeah, I was. Um, did um approaching once you started singing and uh writing more lyrics to go with that did that um open up your songwriting did that affect it greatly or did you just was it business as usual oh no it totally opened it up because um you know up until up until then i never thought about songs that way like playing playing open chords and stuff like with flint it was like um you know, I was, and I was trying to invent my own chords, you know, like, or like, I, I want to play a chord that no one's ever played before, you know, <laughs> like, um, and just, uh, like, yeah, it was, it was more, I guess, more experimental almost, but like, but to, to have like a sense of tradition and be, and like verses and courses and like sort of traditional song structures and traditional lyrics almost, um, was uh that was totally a new thing for me um and it was uh to me it was like a way of just honoring the tradition because uh you kind of you i do feel like you have to know the rules before you break them um 
And so I, I guess I was learning the rules and then trying to break them at the same time. Um, and just to go back to your singing, because this was when you were speaking, and this is it leads to a point that I want to uh, ask you about is when um, I was listening to I every morning I take a long walk and I've been listening to your music on the long walks to re-familiarize with some things I may have forgotten, blah, blah, blah. But there's a song and I'm going to fuck up the title of it. I think it's called Little Girl or it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And you you read the words, but you created the music to it anyway. Um it made me cry in in a in a beautiful like it made me think about my daughter and it made me think about life and all these and it greatly emotionally affected me and it made i was curious to how uh having kids has affected you as an artist um man i think uh i you know like as an artist or or somebody who makes uh, creative things like um, I, I feel like um, I feel like any um, I don't know if you've you've probably heard about that the, the 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 Buddhist technique of like I'd heard that you should if you were going to learn a musical instrument you should spend seven years learning the technique and, and just studying it and practicing and then spend the next seven years never touching the instrument and then once you come back to it, uh, that's when you actually can play the instrument because you've balanced it with real life experience. Um, and I guess I, I learned, like, I forgot where I read that, but I read it like when I was kind of young and that always, that always sounded just really logical and right to me, you know? So I, um, so I've always felt that, uh, like having real life experiences always feeds the music, you know, like even if it's, even if it's tragedy or if it's uh, joy or whatever it is, like um, it, it, it should be the music. Like if you're going to deny it and, and like sort of like put up this, this uh, facade of who you're going to present to the world is, is who you are as an artist, you know, that's different. But to me, like all that, all this stuff that happens is like, uh, it's like fodder for the art. So like becoming a parent was huge, a huge transition. I mean, you know, it like, um, I felt like I chemically changed after I became a parent. Like, um, uh, like something, like something triggered in me. Like, like it was literally the second my daughter came out of the womb. Like, I cut the umbilical cord, and I was like, "Okay, this is real. And this is happening." And I was like, <laughs> "And now this this little life is way more important than anything else I've ever had." You know, like, like I have to protect. Like I have to make sure this one, this this little entity comes up safe and healthy and happy. You know, like, you know, all I never I thought I understood selflessness until that moment. You know, and I thought I my life was full and satisfying until I realized how empty it was until she was born. You know, and that kind of stuff. Um, I think people that don't have kids are probably uh, probably barf when they hear parents <laughs> talk talking like that. Um, you know, but, uh, but it really is like, I feel like something chemical happens in you, like changes. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your time, David. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for asking. I, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for taking the time to do it. I know uh, you got a lot of interviews on hand. Uh, it, I just real quick for listeners just to, if I, and I'll put it in the show notes, but, uh, websites and social media things where they can find you if they don't, uh, already follow you. 
Um, say that again. I'm sorry. Oh, just uh, where they could find you. So website, social media type stuff. Um, I think Instagram's the only thing I have now. But uh, there's like also uh, stuff on uh, the Drex Drex City Records website. I think it's just DregCity.com. Okay. Um, you can look up Paho or Papa M or Ariel M <laughs> or any of the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, awesome. Oh, th- thanks so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you. very much for listening to conversations with matt dwyer as a quick reminder please rate and review the show on itunes tell your friends about it and if you like become a patreon supporter the also listen to my friends podcast uh kilgallen's pub with joe kilgallen and hunk with mike bridenstine two great podcasts the and thank you very much for listening wonder if i should reschedule our thing but i was like like no man let's just let's just see how it goes and i'm glad i did because it was i like your conversational approach